bringing all the influences that create and deliver hospitality to us and the places around the world we enjoy. It begins with design, beautiful food, and a passion for bringing people together. Hospitality is about making people remember how they felt when visiting your space. It takes more than a village to make this magic happen. Hospitality Nations brings those magic makers to you. Welcome to the podcast, Karen Herald from Studio K, the founder and creator and director. We are very excited and happy to have you today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. We're excited to hear about your amazing story, Karen. And if you could please take us way back to the beginning of where did you grow up and where did you study? Uh, so I grew up in a very small town in Holland. Um, we always say there's more cows than people. I think at that time it had 1,200 people. I then studied first in Rotterdam. I studied marketing and advertising. I soon realized that that was not my path and then switched to Fashion Institute, which was in Amsterdam and started working in fashion really young already in my second year of school. I had a job that took me to New York, Singapore, Hong Kong for the production of fashion. And I realized during that trip that fashion was also not for me. So I was in a little bit of a predicament because now I was in my second school knowing that both of them I didn't want to do. But I was very lucky that my teachers and mentors at the Fashion Institute allowed me to focus my efforts through textiles and surface design to focus on the world of interiors. And that's when I knew that that's really where I wanted to be. I then came to America really on a two-week vacation was the plan. And I decided to stay. And I was lucky enough to get my very first start in the interior design business right here in Chicago in an architectural firm where I was allowed to be the librarian for 30 hours a week. I think I make 10 bucks an hour. That's kind of how it started. I spent a lot of time with sales reps of carpets and stones and textiles and really made my way up from there. So I started on the bottom. And were you a qualified interior designer at that stage? Absolutely not. <laughs> Far from. And I wasn't doing any interior design at that point. I was meeting with sales reps and I was organizing and filing materials. So did you have to go back and study? Tell us a bit about that. I never did. I never did. Isn't that crazy? I then met, and this is what people always ask me, like, how do you meet the right people? How do you network? And I always say, you never know where it comes from. The only thing you know for sure is they don't come to your living room. So as long as you're sitting on the couch watching Bravo TV shows about interior design, you know for sure they're not going to find you there. But if you go out and you're willing to kind of do the hard work and meet people, there's a much greater chance. So through this job as a librarian, I think too long of a story to get into in a, in a podcast, but I was lucky enough that I became noticed in that company because I fixed someone's work in the computer. That was then noticed by that creative director. They asked me to bring in my portfolio and he then connected me with some other people in the industry in Chicago. I then met my former boss and later business partner, James Geyer, who owns a company called 555. And at that point, that company was mostly focused on manufacturing of high-end retail fixtures. I started there and ran as a project manager a lot of jobs, like we built YSL on Oak Street, and we did a lot of work for the 
sports industry. Like we worked for the Dallas Cowboys and the Green Bay Packers. And then we got a really great uh, opportunity in Vegas with some friends of the owner. And all of a sudden I was directing interiors in Las Vegas at the Palms Hotel and built a lot of nightclubs and restaurants there. And so I kind of just fell into it and just made it up while I was doing it. I love that. Love hearing that. And that's the best way to learn through actually doing. Yeah, actually doing and having the good fortune to, you know, I worked with a guy who unfortunately has passed away by now, was a much older gentleman who was back in the day, the original creative director for Playboy, who in the 70s and 80s built all these clubs all over the world. He was involved with this group of people and drew every plan still by hand. There were no computers involved and literally showed me the ropes and showed me this is how you do it. And that all started by hand and then obviously was switched in our company to AutoCAD. But it was the very simplistic approach to design of this just needs to happen and this is what client needs. And so it allowed me to really learn from all those people that are physically doing it every day, which I think made me a different designer because very quickly it wasn't a conceptual approach it was a very practical approach and that has helped me tremendously in my career and tell us about how studio k was started and about what you do and focus on yeah so after 13 years of being with that company 555 where i learned so much and had such great experiences i really felt that a lot of our focus was still on that production side so besides me uh, being the creative director there and running the design team there was a lot of effort that went to then the production of those jobs and i felt that was distracting wasn't something i wanted to focus on that was a big reason why i wanted to leave there was also a big focus on how much money we would make with each client, which of course, any industry, you need to make a profit. Otherwise you cannot sustain a business, but I definitely don't feel it should be on the forefront when you're designing spaces. And sometimes it just takes longer than what you originally estimated. But at the end of the day, we need to just keep going till that vision is executed upon. That is something I didn't have the freedom to do in that company because it wasn't my money, obviously. So I really wanted to start a business that only focuses on design and that doesn't put the money in the foreground, but the experience in the foreground. So I started that seven years ago with um, a few people who went from 555 with me. Another important thing to, to mention, I think, is that I gave my old employer a one-year notice and told them this is, was my goal and this is what I wanted to do. And so we transitioned me out very slow. I helped them build their new team, um, which all led to still a very strong relationship with that company. And many times, actually, we collaborate with them. So it was just really nice to slowly transition into my own company, which I then did a year later with a few people who went from there. And now I think we have 23 people uh, seven years later. That's amazing. And what is the thought, like, what do you love working on in the company? What is your passion? My passion, I think, will always be restaurants. It's kind of how I really made a name here with Girl on the Goat and Stephanie Izard. I love working for other creatives with a vision and they might be creative in the kitchen and not so much in interior design. For me, designing is a very personal effort. It's an intuitive process, very personal, very emotional. And so I love doing that for people who have as much skin in the game as I do and do it for a passion. 
And we had really great large corporate clients too. And that's interesting for very different reasons. But I really have to choose what my passion is, is still executing on a vision of a chef and finding a way to create a space that reflects their food and their personality in a way that any of our guests can feel that and that there's a connection between the food and the interiors. Do you taste the food and see what they do before you start the design? Oh, yeah. And we spend a lot of time with the chef. So we see the menus. We spend a lot of time with them. We understand kind of what drives them, what their passion is. We understand the neighborhood where the restaurant is going to be. But that connection is very important. These chefs, they put pretty much everything they have on the line to build a restaurant. It's so expensive these days to build a restaurant. It's so risky. And so it's a big responsibility to execute on the design because for our guests, the design is such an important part of the overall experience. And if we miss the mark in that, it could really jeopardize the success of that restaurant. Taking us back to March last year, I mean, out of all the industries hit by pandemic, I would say that the restaurant business was hit the hardest. Yeah. Take us back on what your journeys and I'm sure some of your clients handholding them during that, what we've been through. You know, it's interesting. It went a little different than I expected in the beginning weeks of it. I did actually a lot of interviews in the beginning with Eater and Cranes and some local sources here. And it went quite different. It was most of all very sad. I had many conversations with many of my friends that are chefs and operators. And I think people first went kind of in a shock and kind of withdrew. And I was so ready. I had a whole team ready to start drafting new floor plans. and But it was such a ever-shifting target that a lot of operators didn't even know what was expected of them. And then the industry got hit so hard that even with the exceptions and the amount of people they could have in their restaurant or how far they could space out the restaurant, a lot of my clients just decided to just close. So there was less adjusting in the beginning than I expected because a lot of people kind of almost just got out of it for a while. So those adjustments didn't happen till later, I would say later in the summer where people were just getting more ready to get back into it and with more changes in their designs. Although most of that, at least from my experience, was done internally with their operations team. They literally just were winging it on site. And how has your approach to designing a restaurant space changed or is it the same? You know, that's the thing. And again, I don't know even if this is the right answer, but it's just my answer. From the beginning, I said, at some point, this will be done. It's awful going through it, but at some point it will be over. And I don't think that in the long run, there's going to be a huge change in the industry. Like even now in Chicago, so many places are almost back to normal. The tables are a little bit laid out different, but it's busy. People feel comfortable eating. People feel comfortable socializing. So I don't think that there is going to be a massive change or a drastic change in restaurant design based on this. That's great to hear and positive to hear that, you know, we will reach the other side and get We'll back. bounce back. Yeah. And not only, I think not only do we bounce back, I think people are just have been, you know, locked up for so long. Everyone is just ready to socialize and 
spend more money. And I had a meeting with a client yesterday who sells really high-end pizza for home delivery. And he was kind of saying, I don't know if we should still do that because people are just so excited now to go out for dinner. Like, do you want to have these expensive, you know? Because that was, I think, the whole delivery game has changed dramatically because of COVID. But I don't know if these high-end food deliveries that a lot of people did during COVID, where restaurants like Swift and Sons, like expensive steakhouses that weren't in the past a delivery type of business now became. I don't know if people will stick to that because I think people will be excited again to eat out and socialize. In a restaurant space, what do you think is the most crucial part? Like, is it the furniture? What do you think really makes it tick? It's a combination. The most important thing is something that no one realizes because it's so embedded in a space. It is the actual layout, physical layout of a space, the infrastructure. I always compare it to like, if you imagine you build a tall building, what no one sees is the foundation underneath the building. But that is what determines and holds up the entire structure. In a restaurant space, it's the same thing. The way the layout works, how tight the aisleways are, how close the tables are on top of each other, what tables are high, what tables are low, determines for a large person the energy in a space. So I would say layout number one. The second part that's extremely important is lighting. And I'm not talking about the light fixtures or what the lamp shade looks like, but the level of the lighting, the temperature of the lighting, and where the lighting comes from is a very important part. And then the third one, which is always a very tricky thing because it's so expensive to negotiate it, is the sound. So acoustics in a restaurant are extremely important because you don't want it too quiet that you feel you have to whisper to the person you have dinner with, but you also don't want it too loud that you cannot hear the person across from you. So the tricky part is always, how can we make the acoustics right, have the music such that we hear it without becoming overpowering? And to do that, it's a really expensive effort. All those variables are so important. I, I recall my favorite sushi restaurant in Sydney, Australia. They did their own renovation, the husband and wife, and they went to like a retail furniture store and bought dining room tables for the space, which clearly didn't work. So, yeah, I mean, what is your formula for the ideal dining table? Ideal dining table. Well, from a very practical point of view, it needs to have a center base and not four legs because... In this way, tables can be connected together without ever creating a space where someone cannot sit. So to have one center base of a table versus the four legs um, is just for practical reasons really important. I personally really like tables that have life to it, that there is a texture that you can feel it's a natural material. Every person in the restaurant will touch that. I think everything that people are able to touch is always the most important element in a restaurant from an emotional level. So we always strive to have tabletops that are made out of natural materials and aren't those like highly lacquered, glossy type of veneer tables that might come from overseas that are cost-effective yet without emotion. Um, and do you like doing different table designs on the actual top creative concepts? 
Oh, yeah. We design all of the tables for every restaurant. That's all. I would say 99% that is a custom table. So most of it is like the color and the texture of the actual wood because most of the time it's wood. And then we play with the edge of like what that edge detailing would be and how contemporary it is or how traditional. We put a lot of effort on that because it truly is the template for the plates. And our company is getting more and more involved with all the tableware and all the things that make a great restaurant because not just the interior design and the food, but everything that brings the food into the interior design is a really important part to get that brand across. So yes, every table that we do for every restaurant, we design custom tables. Now I'm going to ask you to go back again to your journey through the pandemic. How was it for you being a leader of your team and how did you manage, you know, people working from home and all the different element that came into it the beginning was definitely the toughest for me because of the insecurities and running a business and being responsible for 23 people's paychecks and mortgages was really big responsibility that hit me very hard it was extremely difficult i don't think it's possible for me to run the company remote especially with younger designers that are earlier in their career it became really hard to manage them or to keep them inspired. And that's what I've always warned against, which is this Pinterest approach to design where I don't even feel it should be called design, but it's where people look at someone else's image and then try to replicate that. There's a lot of that happening when there isn't the interaction between team members and the coaching of the more senior designers with younger designers. So I think that actual interaction between team members for a design studio is crucial. So it became very hard on me. I don't think I have worked that many hours in a long time where I had many weeks where my hours are they were 16, 18 hours to, to, I just pretty much had to go back to designing a lot myself because it was just hard directing people through a Zoom screen and have them generate new ideas and refreshing elements when obviously their head wasn't in that positive mindset. We do a lot of work in Utah for one of our largest clients, we're building a, a huge resort there. And we've been working on that for about 10 years. And one of the homes that we were creating there, they needed me there. And it was a hard decision because a lot of the people around me obviously didn't want me on a plane. So I ended up driving there and spent a month in both Utah and Colorado and worked from the road and visited a couple of clients out west. And that really was the turnaround, just being out driving, kind of getting physical perspective instead of sitting in my kitchen on my laptop. I was doing that same thing, but in different places every day. And that physical movement definitely made me turn the corner and kind of went from this victim type moment of like, what's happening to me, to the world, to the company, to, okay, this is what's happening. How can we make the best of it? And so I switched that, that kind of mindset and actually turn it around and started two new businesses and found a lot of really great ways to help other people. Yeah, it became kind of an opportunity versus a hardship. Tell us about the new businesses. Have they started or can you talk about them? Yeah, we started one new company called Wow and Flutter, and it's a branding company that creates names, logos, menus, tableware. We decide what the staff is going to wear, all that for restaurants and other businesses that we do. That actually started because a longtime collaborator of mine had an accident, and it was an independent kind of consultant, had an accident 
didn't have healthcare, which for me coming from Europe is something that I can't even wrap my head around. But because of how it works in this country, there's a lot of people who are in that situation, which my reaction to that was, well, how can you do that if you don't have healthcare? We need to make sure that you're protected. How about you go on my payroll? How about we then set up a company? So instead of you being an independent contractor, let's just build a company around this. And we started brainstorming. And a year later, it's a thriving business. And I started realizing because then everyone was more on their own. A lot of people came to me just for advice. I had more time for that because I didn't have to be in the office every day. And I started consulting business for a lot of entrepreneurs who might want to build a restaurant or might want to build a business, but don't know that yet. And after now 20 years of working in the restaurant industry so much, I can really help people figuring out where the right real estate would be, what would be the right concept. So all the stuff that kind of happens before design, because a lot of people think design is the solution. It really isn't. It's just giving shape to a solution. So helping owners and entrepreneurs thinking through the entire concept is something that I really enjoy. And I think a lot of people are helped with more then coming up with expensive designs that people might not even be able to afford or might not help their business. That's amazing. I love hearing that, being able to inspire entrepreneurs starting out in the business, really paying it forward to how they can start. Right. Yeah. And also, I think the recognition, which sometimes is hard in our industry, that we serve other people, right? That's what we do as designers. We are. We should, in my opinion, never be the end goal. Our goal is to help whoever comes to us to execute on their vision. And I think when design becomes kind of a tunnel vision and a silo and self-serving is where we have completely missed the mark. To people listening and someone who wants to start out in the industry, be it a restaurant, be it a design firm, what would your top tips be to someone who's, who's just starting out? I think as a design, if I speak just for, and I think that's the best thing for me to speak to designer aspect of it because I've lived it. I could not be more happy and grateful for how my personal career went, where I literally started on the bottom and I learned the drills and I never skipped any steps in that. And the recognition, like even McDonald's, who I've worked for for many years, The CEO of McDonald's has to work for two weeks making French fries. It is important to, when you're running something or when you want to have an opinion about something in front of clients, it's important to know what you're actually talking about. And so I think the knowledge of all the technical materials, all the, what I always call is those periphery industries around an interior designer, you need to know enough about architecture that it would help you in your interior design. You need to know enough of HVAC that it doesn't ruin your design. You need to know enough about ADA posts for you to design it in a way that is usable for disabled people. Now, are there architects who have the final responsibility over that? Absolutely. But you have to know your stuff and a little bit of stuff of the people around you. And I think a lot of young designers are in such a rush to exhibition that they might underestimate the amount of things you need to know to be able to successfully express that vision in matter that is within time budget, within the programmatic that any client would have, 
where there's so much focus on concept for younger designers, but not enough knowledge to back that concept up. So to have expectation of the first five years, at least five years, to learn every part of the industry, to repay your dues, to learn from the people around you that have been doing it longer. And I think a lot of they could muster that patience they would really be helped with that. Just before we close out, top restaurant tips for people in Chicago. What are your top three that people should go to? Definitely Noble. We're so proud that we finally have a Noble restaurant here. Sushi there cannot be matched, in my opinion. One kind of under the radar one is a restaurant called Daisy's, which is in the neighborhood called Logan Square. Very small, but the best pasta, I think, You'll get along with Monteverde, I should say, because that in the West Loop, but most people are aware of them. And what else would I thank you to? I probably would thank you to. Oh, this is a really interesting one. There's one called Marvin's, which is what I feel that this town has been missing regular food for regular people. We got such a wave of foodies and so many over-the-top restaurants that sometimes we miss the day-to-day just having really good normal food and Marvin's is a really great place for that. Thank you and thank you so much for joining us Karen it was a pleasure having you. Absolutely thank you. Thanks for joining us. Please subscribe to the show to hear from more amazing people in the industry. Visit our website at stylenations.com to see more stories about our guests featured on our blog. We love sharing their stories and bringing people together.